Hi, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where we answer your letters here at the critically acclaimed network. It has been a hot minute since we've done one of these, and for that I apologize. I'm about to explain why. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, we we haven't, been, uh, haven't been podcasting as frequently. No, uh, no. Which uh, is a result of you doing something very big and dramatic. I, yeah, I'm not happy about it. Uh, the podcasting part, anyway. But no, I, I'm, I'm moving. Uh, we are uh, moving to a different part of Los Angeles a, a, for a variety of reasons. Mm. Uh, and uh, You can say rent sucks. It's rent fine, rent yeah. does suck, but it's yeah. not the only reason. I'm also closer to family, that kind of thing. And um, <laughs> so that is a chaotic time at the best of times. And it is not the best of times. <laughs> it is a very, very, very difficult time in a variety of ways. And it has been it has been more disruptive than I planned it to be, and I planned it to be really disruptive. <laughs> it's like that that scene in Logan Lucky where you see like the, their heist plan, and one of the lines is everything goes wrong. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you plan for that, and it still managed to go worse. So I've been like without internet for multiple days. So we had this whole grand plan we were going to like record remotely more often and whatever, and. I've been having able to see anything, let alone podcast about it, and it sucks. And I'm really, really sorry about that. Uh, some people have asked, "Hey, where's critically acclaimed?" Uh, that's a great question, and soon is uh, the I've, answer. Uh, I've I've seen movies. Uh, oh, seen if, a lot of if movies. you want to hear me do a solo episode, I can oh. do it, but. I'm not sure what that would sound like. <laughs> just kind of be rambling for about 30 minutes yeah. about the, the shit that interests me. Yeah, just, um, just, just Whitney unfiltered. <laughs> that's that's my podcast, yeah. Whitney unfiltered. Yeah. Um, but we, we're back. We have a letter in this episode. I visited our post office. We got a physical letter in the yeah. mail, which uh, is very nice. Real fast, if you want to uh, participate and we've got mail, it's real easy. You can send us an email. Our email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or, if you'd prefer... You can send us a piece of physical mail, which is pretty much guaranteed to be read on the air. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And again, it's been a few weeks since we've done one of these, so I'm committed to doing, you know, a bit, bit of a longer one than usual. Let's go. All right, so here we go. Uh, crinkle the paper a little bit so you can yeah. know that we got an actual physical letter. Make it nice. Ooh, it's it's like a slice of paper sliced. Ooh, like, like a like a I, piece I, of. I usually say a sheet of, of sheet of paper, but do you have kids in your class that ask for to borrow a, a slice of paper? I've forgotten those days, but yes, I do remember yeah. when people used to say such a thing. Uh, it says, "Dear Dallas Kane, aboard the Nostromo." <laughs> After, uh, Thank you, Mother. Oh, th this comes from uh, Anthony, by the way. Oh, hi, uh, so Anthony. The, uh, Anthony says, Dear Dallas Kane about the Nostromo, after listening to Thank Godzilla It's Friday, something came to my mind. Mm. Uh, why isn't why isn't there more giant monster movies made in Europe mm. during Godzilla's 60s reign? They had Gorgo. Yes. And it's, it's kid busting through London. And uh, it's kid busting through London, Reptilicus ravaging Copenhagen mm -hmm. with its green goo. That Inguris copy-slash-paste Hydra from Hercules with mm -hmm. Steve Reeves guarding Golden Fleece and the giant behemoth. 
It puzzles me how they didn't try to dip their toes into kaiju market or compete with that run of USA giant insect and Lost World movies. Mm. Plus, how likely is it for the Devils to be made available on streaming this October? What do you know about the cursed 1970s film Antrim? And uh, don't let Ash open the hatch. Ripley, signed Anthony. <laughs> uh, and here, written uh, written in longhand, mm. it says, P.S. I just saw Black Christmas, 1974. Ooh. Judging by the ending, wouldn't the killer eventually get caught due to the constant phone calls and <laughs> and dead body stench? Apologies for the long letter piece. Long letter, you, cut, a you cut a sheet of paper in half. That is not a long letter. Is it just like, um, is that a rule that you have to apologize for the long letter? You don't yeah. have to. It's okay. We're good. Um, Apologies for a short letter next time. Oh, hey, hey, how you doing? One question. Okay, thanks. Sorry about the short letter. Yeah. Uh, um, so there's a couple of things addressed in there. First off, uh, they were talking about our podcast, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. Actually, before we continue, I'm not sure if anyone can hear this. Uh, we have a cricket. Yeah, we have a cricket. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how, how audible that is. Maybe more so depending on whether we're wearing headphones. Um, there is nothing we can do about that. There, there really isn't. We... <laughs> Uh, did you ever see the the Buddy Holly story, the movie with, with Gary, Gary Busey? Gary yeah. Busey? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. I, I that was that movie is how I learned about how Buddy Holly and the Crickets got the name. There was just mm. a cricket in the studio with yeah. them, and uh, <laughs> so that that stands out sharply in my mind. Uh, real fast, I was uh, in film school, and at UCLA Film School, they had a couple of like two or three small but pretty big sound stages that people could use to film their short films and such for various classes. And one of the sound stages had a cricket. Okay. And people dreaded getting that assignment. Like, oh, you're in sound stage B? Sorry, man, there's a cricket in there. It's going to mess with your sound. And um, one day, I saw the cricket. <laughs> and then everyone was like... I was wearing a leather jacket and had a cigarette. No, no, because like, the whole thing is no one could find the damn cricket, right? One day, I actually saw the cricket. And then everyone was like, you killed it, right? I'm like... No. <laughs> That's a living thing, you monsters. And I, everyone hated me after that. Yeah. <laughs> everyone hated me. So I love you, Cricket. Thank you so much. We'll try not to, to mm. oh, talk over you too much. Um, But uh, yeah, Thank Godzilla It's Friday is our podcast where we review every single Godzilla mm. movie. And Godzilla was not the very first giant monster movie that had been going on since the silent era. Uh. Then, of course, in the sound era, we had stuff like King Kong. Uh, we had well, st- the, the various films of uh, uh, Ray Harryhausen. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it is kind of odd that there weren't more imitators of oh, Godzilla. Oh, it's not odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did, well, gee, why don't you think the United States made a movie about nuclear devastation? Well, you know, uh, about nuclear devastation. Well, first off, we did. We had them and all we, kinds yeah, of but, giant... That's true, monsters. and in fact, radiation was a big uh, sort of big fear worldwide. You know, whenever there was a monster, the the, the bugaboo was mm-hmm. radiation. Why is there a deadly mantis? Yeah, radiation. Anxieties um, about radiation were led to a bunch of the creations of a lot of superheroes. Spider Man was in a radiated spider. Yeah, Daredevil like, was like a truck carrying radioactive chemicals. Uh, the the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, made out of a bomb. Was made, yeah, yeah, exactly. Born of the bomb, and and the Hulk again never been officially declared that I know of. But if you've seen the Amazing Colossal Man. You will say to yourself, Stanley saw that movie. Because that was oh, also a movie about did. a giant monster created yeah. from a, a giant oh, monster. S- Stanley ripped off that movie wholesale. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there were a lot of American kaiju films, but yeah, like as the letter said, they were of the giant insect variety. Mostly. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I guess we had less interesting fauna uh, <laughs> to, to, to start to. Uh, well, I mean, it's into. a dinosaur. We had dinosaurs, and well, let's see. But think of how many bug films there were, just like in the mid to late fifties, because there was mm-hmm. there was the Deadly Mantis, yes, uh, was the Black Scorpion, beginning of the uh, end with the locusts. beginning of the end, yeah, yeah. which were uh, they were specifically grasshoppers, uh, the giant um, spider. The, was it the giant spider invasion or Dave the spider? It was uh, Earth versus the spider. Earth versus the spider. Yeah, yeah that was a good one. Um, uh, and yeah, others uh, as well. Uh, giant leeches. Yeah. Um, the the gi- giant leeches weren't that giant. The giant leeches were like human size, which is big for leeches. Which yeah, yeah I was but about not, to say. But it's not. God, it's not going to fight Godzilla. Stomping on buildings. Yeah. Attack but, of the fifty woman. There you go. That's Attack of the fifty foot. But these are American though. We're talking about European though. And okay. the thing is about European cinema is that a lot of their genre cinema was a bit more on what you might call the schlockier end. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of sort As of, opposed to here. Well, to here, no, but I, but I, there, there's a general vibe that's a little different. Like, remember when, like, Star Wars came out and in Europe, when, what did they follow it with? Star Crash. Which yeah. is tonally a bit schlockier. Mm-hmm. And, and with good cause. I like that movie a lot. I think MST3K made a mistake on that one. But, um, I think that... I, I'm actually kind of baffled, honestly, because they had Gorgo, which I'm mm. not a big fan of Gorgo. They had Reptilicus, which yielded the great MST3K song. Reptilicus <laughs> is silly, but he really illustrates the great array of monsters all over the place. It's a, you got that right. Every country has a monster. Every the, country has a monster. What are the sort of the UK? Because there's mm-hmm. there's Reptilicus. Well, because is... the UK had in the silent era, they had um, like the Lost World or something, where they're like the Brachiosaurus. Mm. Was like yeah, loose was, in London. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that was a UK production, but it was definitely set mm-hmm. in the UK. Yeah, Reptilicus is actually a Danish production. Yep. I was just looking it up here. Yep. Um, but like you'd think there would be t- more tentacles from Italy in 1977. Uh, I did forget about tentacles. That's uh, pretty late in the year. That's pretty late in that. Yeah, era, I guess so. Yeah. Gorgo uh, was an yeah. Irish film. Was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Japan, 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 Japan. Uh, hundreds <laughs> from Japan. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe people just didn't want to challenge Japanese dominance of the genre like they were too good at it it's like uh, okay who can say honestly who can say because you can't it's not like you can say like you know oh well they like bulked at the visual effects they were doing terrible visual effects in some uh, of their movies you know there were a lot of Russian fantasy films that had like dragons and stuff in them Mm. from about that era so that's but that was sort of like tapping into a lot of Eastern European folklore Mm -hmm. so it was very uh, regional yeah we had the, the, you ever see the, well, I guess you have because it's an MST3K episode, but the mm. Bird Eye Gordon's The Magic Sword. Actually, oh, yeah. had a pretty cool dragon at the end for the era. Oh, yeah. Like, it was like a pretty complex thing, a pretty cool puppet, actually breathed like fire. They had like fire shooting out of it. That thing was pretty cool. Still an American production, though. But yeah, I don't know. That's an excellent question. Um, there were a couple more questions on there, though. One of them was about a film called Antrim, which I really don't know about. Oh, I, I wrote about Antrim oh, really? recently. Um, that was. Um... It's it's a it's they called it like it was like you're supposed to watch it and you die like it, it's the actual it's movie. A, you know, it's like a Canadian it. film from just a couple of years ago. It's like from 2018. Okay, and uh, it it just like um, Cannibal Holocaust. It's like a mockumentary mm-hmm. about uh, you know evil evil goings on. Yeah, um, but uh, or it it's like a, a mockumentary about the making of a deadly movie, like a fictional movie. Ah, okay, um, and it has like. Satanism in it, and there's like okay. sacrifices and stuff. Well, that's fun. Um, 
sounds a little bit like cigarette burns, but okay. Uh, kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, but but it came after cigarette burns. Cigarette burns is a uh, episode of Masters of Horror, which was directed by John Carpenter and written by Drew McQueenie and whoever his writing partner was, I forget. But um, yeah, and it's about a guy who is uh, enlisted to he's, find a. He's a film archivist. Yeah, he's a film he's, archivist. He's hired by a collector to track down a really rare print. Yeah, and it turns out that that print is actually like a, a movie that's so terrifying it like makes people go mad. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's so bad you'll you'll go insane. Yeah. So it's basically a film nerd's Lovecraftian epic, and mm. um, you know it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. Give them, give the them uh, that. the, the conceit worked. is uh, the filmmakers of this forbidden movie yeah. uh, located an angel, like yeah. an actual you know, deity, mm-hmm. and rather than film it doing angelic things, they they severed its wings on camera, yeah. and that was like such an unholy act that when yeah. you watch the movie, you just go completely insane. Yeah. Which is also kind of the plot of the Bush music video for Greedy Fly. <laughs> uh, so. Um, in any case, yeah. So yeah, that, I I you know. know that part of the myth of the film within the film was that it was so scary it killed you. This and is the Antrim we're talking. The, about. Yeah, Antrim. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, and was there another question in there? I feel like there might have been. Uh, so yeah, I, I haven't seen Antrim. It's one. Yeah. Uh, it's one I wrote about just because I I was looking up like notorious movies okay. that were people threw up in the theater, that kind of stuff. And I think Antrim was one of them. Okay. Uh, let's see here. And the other one was about uh, The Devils, which oh, yeah. um, was... Sporadically pops up on streaming. Yeah, I, I know The Devils was really hard to find for a long time, mm-hmm. and then Shudder just had it one year. Yeah, and then I think uh, it was I'm on Amazon gonna... once in a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. Because... The Devils is a film by Ken Russell. Mm. Uh, it's one of the best films of the 1970s, if you ask me. Oh, it's me. excellent. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's very... You know, it's pushing buttons on purpose, but um, Oliver Reed plays a, uh, I think it's a cardinal. Looks like the Devils isn't anywhere right now. Bummer. But it uh, has been restored. Like oh, they yeah. Fa- they, they put it back together again. Anyway, Oliver Reed plays a cardinal, and he's very oversexed, and he's sleeping with everybody. But he's not sleeping mm. with the head nun, uh, who was played by, was it Lynn Redgrave in that one? It was, uh, it? yes. No, yeah. it's Vanessa Redgrave. Vanessa Redgrave. I always get him confused. It was Vanessa Redgrave. Uh, and uh, so she's furious about it and whether it is all by design or whether she loses her mind or you could argue that there's some other sort of influence involved um she ends up basically leading an uprising of orgiastic nuns well like uh the, the premise of the movie is that Oliver Reed is so dead sexy that yeah. he just inspires orgies to break out yeah and like they're, he's, and they're, he's very, he's actually like he's not just over sex. He's actually really progressive about sex and sexuality. He's just and progressive he like, in general, which yeah, just makes him dangerous in the first place to yeah, the church and to the to especially the, kingdom, to the, yeah. the really strict dogmatic Catholic yeah. Church. So, so he's trying to say, well, we should marry, and I'm going to have this affair, and I'm in love with this woman, and we have very good sex, and sex is great and good, and you should yeah. just have it. And the the nut like that doesn't jibe with the nuns' upbringing. Yeah. They just can't yeah. handle the, the, like the level a relaxed rep- version of sexuality. The level of repression so, that they had been dealing with comes out in such a an alarming and frankly incredibly blasphemous way mm-hmm. uh, that it gets. I think it's Urban Grandier uh, was the name. Was it Urban Grandier? Was that his name? Or, oh, um, uh, Urban. Yes, Urban Ur- Grandier. Urbain Grandier. Urbain Grandier. Uh, yeah, it gets him in a lot of trouble. Uh, and uh, it listen, it's it's fucked up. But it is an incredible motion picture, and it is absolutely worth tracking down. If you cannot track down this movie, which is 
incredibly sexual, incredibly violent. Not as violent as you might think, but violent. Um, because it is, it's so controversial, it's rarely on streaming, and I don't think its director's cut's ever really properly been on home video, at least in America. You can see the nuns from it in Space Jam, The, uh, the New Legacy. That's right. <laughs> well, Warner Brothers was oh indiscriminately God. pulling from their IP to fill the background of mm-hmm. the second Space Jam movie, and for whatever reason, they pulled the nun. They decided from to do the that. Devil. She's right there in front of like Grape Ape or some shit. No, Miguel Gorilla, I think, is the one they own. But uh, like, yeah, whatever, whatever. It's it's absurd. She's like gyrating behind Don Cheadle as he's explaining the plot. And, <laughs> I, and, and of course there was, you know, the, the joke at the time when that movie mm. came out was uh, they weren't going to include the uh, animated character Pepe Le Pew. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they, they felt like... controversial. Yeah, Pepe Le Pew cartoons were, you know, about him you know, asserting his amorousness over a, a, a protesting victim. Yeah. So it was like yeah. being a little too sexually forward. Um, yeah. So, so <laughs> to, to, to skirt that around, we're not going to have Pepe Le Pew, but we are going to have not just the nuns from mm. the Devils, but the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange, yeah. who are, like... They, se- they're like, monsters. Yeah, like they serial more... sexual assaulters and murderers. Yeah. Anyway. So that's fine, yeah. apparently. That was thank okay. Thank you, Warner Brothers. Um, anyway, but uh, thank you for writing in. Thank you for joining us, and um, yeah, always a pleasure. Yeah, to get I'll, I'll always get to get a physical letter. Always but then... good. But anyway, so uh, we have some catching up to do, Whitney. Mm. Uh, uh, pick us out some letters. All right, here is a letter from Sir Arcane. Ooh. Uh, hello, Sir Arcane. Uh, dear Bibbs and... Oh, it says Rockmeister McCool. I didn't say at the beginning of the podcast. You can call me Rockmeister McCool if you wish. On this You podcast. need it on this podcast. Or you if you meet him in person. I suppose so. If you yeah. if you shout it from a car window, I'll know what you're talking yeah. about. It's like Curly um, Sue. It's like, hey, why do they call you Curly Sue? And she's like, well, you know, like uh, it's like uh, no, like why do you call that? Like, whatever. It's like, hey, if you say like Dad in a crowded room, all the dads will turn around. Yeah. But if you say, hey, Larry, only the Larrys will turn around. <laughs> so it's better to call your dad by his first name. There you go. Yeah. But uh, so if you call out Rockmeister this, McCool, only Whitney will. This respond. doesn't just say Rockmeister McCool, but uh, they cleverly replace the word rock. With uh, a curling stone, like you'd see at the Winter Olympics. Nice. So, yeah, Rockmeister McCool, which well, is, is called The Rock. Um, uh, first, on your Iron List of the Best One Location movies, mm. uh, do you want to explain what the Iron List is briefly? Yeah, or, the Iron List is our uh, monthly podcast. We do uh, a top ten list based on whatever our Patreon uh, subscribers vote for. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. We're still taking some suggestions for next month. It's not too late to uh, suggest those before we put together a final poll. All right. Yeah. Um, on your best one location movies, there are a couple of films that I was surprised were not mentioned. While not great films, they are on par with Clue. These movies are uh, Beetlejuice and The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, uh, okay. I see where you're coming both from Both confined here. to uh, houses. Generally yeah. a house. Generally a house. house. We'll, we'll castle, talk about the castle in Rocky Horror We'll finish space, the email, but, then we'll talk about uh, But to the main point of the letter, I was hoping that the two of you or your listeners could help me identify a couple of mem- me- movies that I vaguely remember seeing mm. on television back in the late 80s and early 90s. I love these letters. Okay. Yeah, and if we can't uh, think of them, we encourage all of our listeners to, to let us know. Yeah. One of these is a blatant James Bond ripoff. Mm. The opening titles are shots of different diamonds 
Super Spy is on the trail of uh, diamond thieves or smugglers. He has a camera about the size of a dime that he puts on either a chain around his neck or in his ring. He also has a transmitter in his skull, so he is in constant communication with the home base. The final shot is him making out with the girl and slipping the camera in his pocket while the bosses yell at him to get back to work. Uh... Hmm. Tiny camera. It sounds, it sounds like I know it's not diabolic, but that has like no, it's definitely it, not yeah. diabolic. Yeah, okay. I'm, it's I'll, not. I'll a, think about it's it. not like Agent Double Zero Zero Seven. No, no, no. That's like not that. about diamonds. Right. That's not about diamonds. Uh, the other I remember only half as well, but it is at least twice as strange. Japanese sci-fi puppets. One of the characters is taught plants to talk. The good guys use sphere robots, and the bad guys use cube robots. At one point, a bunch of cube robots connect together to form a laser cannon. Keep up the good work. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to hear your voices coming out of my phone. Cinematically yours, Sir Arcane. Uh, mm. I cannot list either of those off the top of my head. The, the puppet um, one sounds familiar. I, I, it, it sounds familiar until... Because there's this one film that's like a fusion of anime and like puppetry. Okay. And I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, and it's puppetry. Yeah, some of it is. Mm, like, like it's like the it's like the monsters are live action, but the humans are animation. Oh, interesting. Okay, it's not this. It's not mysterious. Um, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, this is yeah, this the, is the, you. These are stumpers. I'll give it no, to you. These are know. these are not easy. The sphere robots and the cube robot. That sounds vaguely familiar to mm. me. But it's it's not like connecting yeah. to a title, unfortunately. I wish I, I wish I knew like the general year. That yeah, well, might help. on TV in like the the eighties or nineties, I'm guessing these are seventies films because that's nice those were those were the movies that were kind of in rotation on American TV in that time. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> yeah, I couldn't say. Yeah, hey, listen, if anyone has any idea about these, we send it out to you. Uh, please, please, please let us know. Uh, the Diamond Heist, not James Bond film, with a spy with the diamonds and the, and the movie. Mm-hmm. Let us know. And, uh, yeah, a Japanese puppet movie. I, I don't, I wonder if it's like Super Marionation or if it's just a lot of puppets in it. I don't oh. know. Because yeah, that was my thing. I assumed we were talking about like, kind of like a Super Marionation knockoff where everyone's a puppet. Which yeah, might be which, the case. If, if it's one of the... If it's one of the the, the Jerry Anderson, Sylvia Anderson things, that, that might it help could you out. Be, but, yeah. but I don't, I mean, it might just be a Japanese version yeah. of that, you know. Anyone could do a movie starring puppets. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, you, yeah. you stumped us. Good so, for yeah, you. A, a li- listener, uh, listeners, please yeah. chime in. If, but yeah, if let us know. If any of those look really, sound really familiar. Let us know. Let if, us know. Uh, if anyone wants to chime in and let us know maybe on uh, social media, uh, we will retweet it on Twitter and we're also on Blue Sky. Uh-huh. Uh, we prefer Blue Sky, but if you talk to us on Twitter, we'll respond to you. Uh, we're on both at Critic Acclaim. Uh, so uh, our listener who wrote in, if you want to keep an eye on those social media accounts after this episode, maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe so. Very, very curious. Uh, I know a few of our listeners in particular who are like big encyclopedias and movies, like even more so than we are. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, if, you, if, if any of these ring a bell, let us know. Um, Let's move on. Here's a very quick letter. This is from Bob the Love Goat. We've heard from Bob, oh, hey, Bob, Bob. before. Um, and it's it just says, very important, 911, Bigfoot. <laughs> Good morning, gentlemen. What's the best Bigfoot horror movie? Thank you and happy Halloween, Bob the Love Goat. That is an excellent question. I love that question. Mm. I think a lot of people would say The Legend of Boggy Creek. 
Okay. I would say Abominable. That's the one that's like kind of the rear window. It's rear window uh, with a Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, it stars, um, oh, who was that guy? He was, um, it, it was Gabriel Byrne, wasn't it? No, no, he looks like Gabriel Byrne. I'll grant you that. Oh, okay. it's, it's not him. No, it's the guy he was in, uh, he was in LA Confidential. He was the star of Badge of Honor, Matt McCoy. Oh, okay, yeah. Matt McCoy. Uh, Matt McCoy, it, it's weird, handsome actor. You would have imagined mm. he'd like start in a TV show or something like that. Very talented, got a good, got a, probably has an amazing headshot. I think yeah. he, he's just one of those actors, and there are many actors like yeah. that, because actors are cast because of the way they look. A lot of times, uh, you know, yeah, you're it, looking for a type, you it, know? It, it, somebody who just looks a certain way, and some people yeah. miss out on roles because of the way they look, and I'm yeah. guessing that's the case with Matt McCoy. Maybe. Like, he has, he, he has such a, an, a, like, matinee idol good look, you can't mm. cast him in, like, a weird character role. It would feel weird. I, I feel like you should, but, but in any... It, you know, however yeah. capable he is as an actor... Has um, nothing to do with it. Anyway, it was directed by Ryan Schifrin, who's the son of Lalo Schifrin, one of the greatest film composers of mm. all time. He composed the Mission Impossible theme. Uh, and uh, the... Um, um, oh, and that's... Anyway, that's how he... I am so tired. I have been moving. Uh, but you have a little tea there. I am. You're helping me out. It, Thank you yeah. very much. But uh, no, Lalo Schifrin did the score for Abominable, so that helps. But yeah, Matt McCoy plays a guy. He uh, was paralyzed after a mountain climbing accident. And he is returning to his cabin in the mountains uh, with a nurse from his hospital to try to get over his post-traumatic stress. Uh, and while he is there, he has a good eye on a nearby sort of cabin that people rent for the, for the holidays. Uh, and he keeps seeing them being killed by Bigfoot. <laughs> so naturally, no one believes him, and it's up to him to try to stop Bigfoot. It's a really, really fun premise. It has one of the grosser kills, actually. Nice. There's one thing a Bigfoot does in this movie that I've never seen a monster do in any other film, at least not before that, and it's really gross. Uh, and it's got a lot of really good cameos, too. Like, Jeffrey Combs is in it, Lance Henriksen is in it. They play just, like, a bunch of people, like, out camping in the woods. It's just a who's who of, like, horror names. Nice. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's a delight. I like that movie a lot. Do you yeah. have a favorite Bigfoot horror movie? Uh, Bigfoot is a gentle soul. I don't uh. like Bigfoot in horror movies. No, um, uh... Okay, it's not a good movie. In fact, it's maybe one of the worst movies. Oh, dear. But I, I would like to recommend that people seek out this the, the bug nuttery of the super like low-budget, Z-grade movie Suburban Sasquatch. Have you seen Suburban <laughs> no, Sasquatch? I have not seen Suburban Sasquatch. Uh, it, it's one of those movies that they clearly made like in their backyard on like yeah. consumer-grade VHS cameras. There's special effects that are constructed of... Like video toaster effects, like yeah. when Bigfoot put, picks up a car, they're literally just like moving a photo of yeah. the car across the frame. Well, bless them, um, they try. They they have one sound effect for the Sasquatch mm -hmm. that they repeat over and over again, and the Sasquatch is clearly just like a gorilla costume that they got uh. at, at a Halloween store. Um, but there's a wonderful scene where the Sasquatch, the suburban Sasquatch. Uh, they're filming at, like, the pond, mm -hmm. like, the creek behind their houses, and the Sasquatch attacks somebody, rips their arm off, mm -hmm. and, and it cuts to a guy, and he's got his arm in, arm in his shirt, and mm -hmm. they put a bloody stump there, and it's spraying out, for them. and he picks up the arm, and he tosses it at another guy and kills him with it. So that's... That's fun. Cinema magic. I would like to propose a sequel called Urban Sasquatch. And it's all just like a Sasquatch. It's like, ah, I can never find parking in this part of town. <laughs> just, Gas uh, prices are ridiculous in this city. 
Oh, look, an open meter. Ah, oh, shit, it's, it's until 11. Oh, they really did pave paradise and put up a parking lot, didn't they? <laughs> um, it should surprise no one to learn that suburban Sasquatch is on Tubi. <laughs> oh, wait, is it abominable? Uh, let me look up abominable. Yeah. This is not our <laughs> usual setup. We're actually at Whitney's apartment right now, and usually I have my laptop, yeah, and I'm yeah. doing all the clickety-clackies, and this is totally the opposite of what's uh, normal. This today. is not abominable, the animated film from a couple of years ago. No, 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 that's, from, that's uh, an animated family from 2006. Film. Abominable is on Peacock. Okay. It's also on Roku. It's also on Tubi. Hey, and there Freevee. you go. Was Thank you, Tubi. Ones, so. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, please, please watch Suburban Sasquatch, and um, and I'm sorry. There's, uh, Tubi's like motto should be, of course. <laughs> yeah, we got. Is it, it on Tubi? Yes. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, w- there was a recent Exorcist movie uh, that came out, and mm. so out of curiosity, I went on Tubi and just looked, looked up the, looked up the word exorcist or exorcism, just exorcist, yeah. and saw what what came up. And no lie, there were 19 films. <laughs> Honestly, that's all, low all, for made, all made within like the last three years with the word <laughs> sure. exorcist or exorcism in the title. Well, bless them for it. Yeah, bless their hearts. All right, let's. Uh, they, they just have all the trash. Yeah. All right, what do we got yeah, next? Uh, here's a letter on. from Lily. Hello, Lily. Hi, Lily. Um, this is a love letter to the Florida Project. Oh. Um, forgive the strange formatting here. I don't know why the text decided to be different sizes. Yeah, the text is changing oh, size on the screen here. Uh, when the Florida Project came out exactly five years ago, uh, technically I'm a few days late, but who cares? Uh, I was 12 years old. Mm. My sisters, uh, who were 10 at the time, and I must have watched it at least 25 times in the first year it was released wow. alone. That's a, that's a good one to latch on to when you're 12. Interesting choice. Um, it was the first time we saw ourselves in a movie in an actual true way that just, just didn't feel like, quote, poverty porn. The first time uh, we're... Uh, where, where we saw bad kids, the poor kids, not in that abstract sense, usually mm-hmm. just means lower middle class, but actual people who lived like us, who uh, in any given week didn't know where we'd be living, with whom, mm-hmm. whether we'd have running water or food. And not only were there kids on screen, but there was no judgment. There were, uh, they were awful and cruel and shrill, and the film loved them anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, this love that Sean Baker had for these kids was the first time we had seen an unconditional love for kids like us. We weren't framed as troubled, as kids that needed to be saved, to be loved. We were loved even when the circumstances around us made us into little assholes. <laughs> I'm now 18 and in my first semester in college. This is the first time in my life that I've ever been around rich people. Ah. Up until I got here, the wealthiest person I knew was a classmate whose family income was about 150k a year. And I'm learning for the first time that rich people are, well, for lack of a better term, fucking weird. <laughs> And very often exhausting. I feel like I got dropped off in the capital of the Hunger Games movies, and I want nothing more than to go home where I don't have to explain what an EBT card is. I'm here on a full scholarship for low-income students, and yesterday I got told that I was lucky to be poor, and that, quote, my money is paying for your tuition. Oh my god. uh, I I hope you flicked them in the ear. Uh, And... And so I've been returning to the Florida Project because I know that even in this world of incomprehensible wealth, someone understands me. Someone loves the sisters and cousins and nieces and nephews I left back home without having them to prove their respectability the way I had to get here. Uh, And to end on a largely unrelated and less emotionally dense note, because my food is covered by the scholarship, I have a little bit of disposable income and I was finally able to join your Patreon. Oh, uh, I'm only at the $1 a month tier, but it feels really nice to finally be able to support creators that I've admired and appreciated for so long. Uh, 
don't ever put yourself out to Whatever support you us, I mean, for goodness sake. Thank you, um, and we hope you're enjoying. Yeah. And, and listen, even at the $1, I hope, I, I think you actually might have uh, tweeted me about this. Mm. Um, even at the $1 tier, you can still get like a lot of stuff. If you go searching in our archive, there's a lot of our material there. Mm. So uh, go ahead and check that out. But uh, it's not, you get the ad free shows and you get, thank God, it's Friday early and you get the vote for stuff. But there are some shows as well that are bonus. So anyway, uh, she closes with my encouragement to watch the movie that makes you feel at home, Lily. Um, That's really beautiful. I really love the Florida Project. And and it wasn't because I related to it or I saw myself on screen. I just, uh, I also connected to Sean Baker's sympathy for these characters and really yeah. kind of looking at them as humans rather than as others made by rich people. There's a lot of um, people who kind of take for granted that they see for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that they see themselves in movies because a lot of movies are about the same types of people, mm. aren't they? A lot of white people, a lot of middle class and rich people, um, a lot of straight people. Yeah, there's a yeah. The disappointing lack of queerness just across the board yeah, in cinema. It, it's getting better, uh, but just the sum totality of it is, yeah, is, I, is off. I, I know there have been some like recent studies that uh, when it comes to like new TV programs, yeah. not films necessarily, but TV yeah. in particular, yeah. that uh, queerness it really is like on a sharp rise, which oh, is really great, just great. in terms of queer representation. Yeah. But that's just um, one example. Yeah. Um, um, we live in Los Angeles, yeah. so th- this is a very weird town when it comes to wealth, because it's one of the richest cities in the whole world. Like, some of the most expensive zip codes in the world are here, yeah. and yet you go downtown, and there's there's tin towns, and there's, uh, you know, um, sk- skid rows and tent cities. Yeah. Uh, there's people living in abject poverty just a few miles away from some of the richest people in the world. Yeah, and some uh, of the rich, and sometimes, and this isn't... I don't remember this is specifically L.A., but there's a lot of stories around California of, like, very rich communities mm-hmm. who are very upset that, like, a building no one was using would be used for, like, low-income housing or... Yeah, or, right. or well, and like, that's, and, that's the whole NIMBY, yeah. N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard. Yeah, exactly, and there's this... It's, it's absolutely absurd, and I, I realize that literacy is, like not America's strong suit right now, certainly not reading comprehension. But um A Tale of Two Cities maybe <laughs> it comes to that. Maybe comes to mind. maybe is something we should be remembering a little mm-hmm. bit because it is the best of times for a very small group of people uh. who have a very outside outside Ooh. influence and very a lot more visibility. Uh and it's also the worst of times. Yeah. And ooh. Um, A friend of mine told this story because she, too, grew up in poverty. She struggled a lot. Her mom was an alcoholic. She she had to get a job at an early age. She really, really kind of struggled to get where she was. She could finally afford her own place. Uh, And she started dating somebody who who was a celebrity. I don't want to name drop anybody or or call anybody out, but uh, she started dating a, a... Someone, a famous so, person. Someone who of means who... Someone you famous. might recognize. Like, he, yeah. he himself wasn't, like, massively wealthy, but he's known. He was successful. And, uh... Yeah. And... But he, being a celebrity, knew other celebrities and did know rich people and went to their birthday parties and went to their mansions up in Beverly Hills. And she was taken along to one of these mansion birthday parties. Mm-hmm. And naturally, they're just dropping money everywhere. Yeah. Just kind of, like, dropping it on the floor. And speaking of which, uh, the, the guest of honor received the newest iPhone as a gift mm-hmm. from one of their friends. 
It's like, oh, like I picked one up. Now, now you have one too, because everybody had one. Mm-hmm. And she was opening it up and taking it out of the box. Oh, isn't that cute? Now I can have one. I can do the same thing. Ah, oh, I'll get rid of this old one, which is like three weeks old. And as she was opening it out of the box, she dropped it on the floor and it broke. And their only comment uh-huh. was, oh, those things are so cheap. It's okay. I'll get you another. It's like this, this was like a, like a $1,700 oh, phone. <laughs> like that there's nothing to these people and she witnessing that watching this really expensive thing break and them not reacting to it at all was too much for her she had to leave the party yeah this this is this is not a level of wealth i can i can wrap my mind around at this point you can't identify with it you definitely can't sympathize and and the problem is a lot of the producers a lot of the people that make movies are that wealthy. Yeah. And I think... And they get to decide what stories get told. And we're still living down something that started way back in the... during the Depression when stories about wealthy people became in vogue. Like in the 1930s. Uh, Because at the time, though, those rich people in the 1930s era Depression movies, they were all buffoons because the people going to see the movies are impoverished. Let's A, fantasize about what it's like to be rich, and B, also laugh at the rich. Like, they served a dual function. A a really great example of this is My Man Godfrey, Mm -hmm. where William Powell plays a guy who's, like, you know, living on the street, and he is collected by Carol Lombard, who's a rich debutante. Uh And, like, one of the things on their, like, uh, scavenger hunt bingo card is bring in a homeless guy. Which is, which even (laughs) then, he's, like, he's just, like... I cannot identify with this shit at all. And then he ends up like becoming their butler and just, they're all fools. And it's very satisfying. I feel like we need more of that in particular, maybe in our media. But, um, but, yeah. But because so many wealthy people are making these movies, cinema's view of poverty in general Mm -hmm. tends to be at least in at least in the united states i'll say you know you get some like italian neorealist films Mm -hmm. they're actually very skilled about there there are filmmakers who know what they're talking about yeah well case in point but bicycle thieves or um but uh if you uh go through like the history of american films Mm -hmm. wealth is uh wealth is vaunted and the way Poverty is vaunted is to kind of romanticize it a little bit. Mm-hmm. They know the streets; they're really well off mm-hmm. because they they're they're true to themselves. There's like there's an honesty to poverty. No, uh, yeah, it's, it's it a, sucks. It's not it's not about you know gumption and stick-to-itiveness. It's just about survival and fuck. Mm-hmm. Can I have some money, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always bothered me, you know. I've, and I'm I've, I'm a middle class white guy, you know. That's I'm mm-hmm. I've never had to struggle the way some people have. Yeah. But that still bothered me, the way that yeah. poor people are always treated as these kind of romantic figures. Um, and it's only occasionally that you'll find something like The Florida Project or American Honey or um, Killer of Sheep, you know, films that are yeah. actually about people who are really working hard and that's their life. Um, yeah, the, I, I'm glad that you found somebody, uh, Lily, that that you could see on camera and actually connect with it on that important level and know that yes rich people are weird (laughs) there's something wrong with their brains yeah Uh, there's there's even studies on this like oh yeah yeah, like they i remember hearing a study recently where they gave a monopoly board to 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 two different people and one player they said we're going to give you a bunch of extra money at the start yeah. Like, they're not actually wealthy. They're just wealthy in Monopoly. Yeah. And as the game went on, they got more smug about how well they were doing. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, 
started hoarding wealth a lot more aggressively than they would otherwise. No, no, no. it's 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 weird because I, I, listen, I I I would very much like to have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a treat? Um, but here here's the uh, 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 I want I want to be just thinking about it. Now, I want to be so. wealthy. I I don't want to be wealthy that it, so wealthy that it affects my brain. I just want to be yeah. able to pay all my bills mm-hmm. and have a home. Like that'd be nice. That, but <laughs> I never like, have to worry about bills. There've been like studies about that. Really? Like, oh, money can't buy happiness. Yeah, money can. can buy a fair amount of happiness. If Actually, you, the, if you can't the, uh, pay your bills, uh, money will buy you a, f- a peace of mind. At least and a there's, little. There's even some new, darker studies that say, you know, some money buys some happiness, more money buys more happiness. And the people who are already well off and are just hoarding more and more wealth are technically becoming more and more happy. Like, just acquiring that much damn, money damn. is making them happier. You know, when I was a kid and I didn't really understand how finances worked, uh-huh. I didn't have any concerns. Uh, you know, that was, that was for my parents to be concerned about. But when I was younger, I would watch these, like, movies about, like, you know, someone who was like forty thousand dollars in the hole, and they would like risk their life for a bank heist for forty thousand dollars. And yeah. I remember thinking to myself, for forty thousand dollars, you would yeah. you would risk your life. <laughs> is like, is your life worth forty thousand dollars? And now when I'm an adult and I'm like, Jesus Christ, yeah, I can kind of I can see it actually. <laughs> Just forty thousand dollars. I can, like, ooh, God, that's a life changing amount of money for a lot of people. Mm. You know, like ooh, it's ridiculous. I, I see those heist movies. Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it for four hundred thousand dollars. Like, you, you can't buy a house with that. Mm-hmm. Not in Southern California. You, you might can't. be, but you might be able to pay off your student loans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have a, have a left over for enough left over for a sandwich. I could definitely know? pay off my car. You know, like, uh, yeah. anyway. Uh, uh, thank you for writing it. All right. Yeah. Um, this is a letter from Hans. Hi, Hans. And uh, it's very brief. Okay. We were talking about skeletonization. Yes. In movies and how 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 exciting it is when it happens. Uh, I, think it, it, I think it was from uh, uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Hans just says, "Dear Mr. Whitney, the Green Goblin <gasps> skeletonized some people with a skeletonizing pumpkin bomb during the parade scene in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Totally ruined uh, 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 Macy Gray's concert, by the way. Oh, was it Macy? <laughs> that was Macy Gray uh, in that movie. Yeah, as herself. It's, it's, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah." But anyway, you were saying. Anyway, that, and that's it. That's it. That's yeah, it. Just, he did, didn't he? We, we forgot a skeletonization movie of, in quite of, a, po- of, a in quite a popular film. Oh, one of the most popular movies yeah. ever. Um, that's true, and bless him for that. <laughs> My only regret is that they done like when you like listen. I don't ever want to die. I'm just one of those people. Who'll be like, just I'll just keep going. It's fine. Uh-huh. Um, if I must. Let me be skeletonized, and then after, I'm like, the skeleton should, like, stay up for a second, like it was, like, too surprised to know what to do. And then I want it to, like, fall into a heap of bones with a xylophone noise. That's the way I want Like in Dragon's Lair. Yeah, like, yes! Exactly! That's exactly what I was unconsciously, I was subconsciously... Dirk the Daring. Yes, that's exactly what I want. That's the dream. Please, I beg of you. Anyway, we have another letter. Let's do it. Uh, This one comes from Eric. Hi, Eric. Um, Gentle beings. I'm one of those. I try. Uh, Two thoughts for today. Mm. You know how Whitney always improves something... I improve something? Yeah, you improve a lot. I improv something. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't improve anything, but I do improv a lot. Uh, Two thoughts for today. You know how Whitney always improvs something in the intro to respond to, everybody calls me Bibbs because he doesn't have a nickname aside from Rockmeister McCool? Yeah. How about everybody calls me Witty? Then it would be up to the listener to interpret if witty is an abbreviation of Whitney or if people say that I am witty. Uh, 
Because I know people do. What do you say, Whitney? Never in a million years that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's the I, funny thing about that name. It's only one letter short. It's barely. It's, I don't even think it qualifies yeah. as a nickname. But well, it, it is fun, though. Also, the problem is my first name is Whitney. Uh, there aren't a lot yeah. of men named Whitney. Uh, I was yeah. born in 1978. Uh, I'll save you the math. I'm 45. And uh, when I was, like, the instant I was named, mm-hmm. like, culture shifted right underneath me as an infant. Yeah. And it was suddenly considered a girl's name. Yes. So I, I, I bore the brunt of a lot of gender-based mockery when I yeah. was a child. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you have a girl's name. No, mm. I'm a boy. I have this name. I'm Whitney. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I just want to be like, oh, aren't you clever? Yeah. Oh, you're the first person to come up with that. You know what? Mm. Well, wow. And I, I think it would have been fine. It's like because yeah. there was a, a girl in my school, mm-hmm. in my elementary school, also named Whitney, and there was me, and there was her, and that was it, and that was fine. Sure. Uh, but I will never forgive Whitney Houston for <laughs> becoming popular. <laughs> Ruining my life. For, really, the big problem is that uh, is the spelling, because mm. I think everyone wants to spell your name with an H. Well, okay, little little insider baseball. On my birth certificate and legally, my name still has an H. What? Yep. I actually did not uh, know that. You don't know that? I, I I've, I've told you this before. I think you might have told uh, me that like ten years ago. I may, really don't maybe remember. so. No, yeah. I'm my. I was born Whitney. I was named after Mount Whitney. Yeah. Had I have a hippie mom? If I was born mm. a girl, I would have been named Shasta mm-hmm. after Mount Shasta. I love it. Um, I'm glad that didn't happen because a soda product called Shasta came out when also I was a kid, true. and that would have also would have kind true. of ruined, also ruined my life. Um, but I was named after Mount Whitney, mm. and I was teased a lot in school. And I have an older sister, and she she just pulled this out of our ass. She mm-hmm. said, you know, there's actually two spellings of Whitney. There's mm-hmm. Whitney with an H, that's the girl spelling, mm-hmm. and there's Whitney without an H, and mm-hmm. that's actually the boy's spelling. And I believed her, so I said, okay, I'm going to stop using the H. Oh I was like nine or ten years old. I was pretty yeah. young. You don't, and... No one had explained to you that, like, binaries are kind of a fiction by that point. You were just working I was, on not, I was nine or ten. I was being yeah. teased. I, that's and all I was going And you were growing up in the 80s, so what are you supposed to do? Yeah, like, the, you know, you're, the, you're these, limited. These, these were my tools, and yeah. uh, not not very good ones, but that's what I got. Yeah. And uh, So yeah, I, I changed the spelling. I started spelling my name without the H. I worked my, autogra- uh, my signature, so it didn't have an H in it, and it's just been that way ever since. Mm-hmm. I, had a, um, I, had a, I had someone I knew in um, elementary school uh, her name was Nicole, but Nicole had like an H in it. Okay, and which is C H O L E. Yeah, yeah. Which I've, is pretty, I've, I've seen that a couple times. Relatively atypical. Apparently, that was a typo. Oh <laughs> and no! She, and she just like now nah, just embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, your nickname. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's always like, been weird to me that I like have like a, a pretty like forthright system of how I introduce these podcasts, and Whitney just says whatever. <laughs> I just want to get to the podcast. I, I, mean, I don't introduce like, well, I, you you turned it on. You know why you're here. This is a podcast. Let's go. That's true. I just like people to know because when I'm listening to a podcast or radio show or whatever, and it's like a conversation, mm-hmm. I want to be able to identify each voice. That's fair. So I know like which one because I don't want to like you know like oh I was listening to the Steve and Ted show and then I, that, that Ted Steve? guy that Ted guy is such an asshole. I meant Steve and I'm like oh my god I'm an asshole. I didn't know. So, yeah, I at least want you to blame me for the shit I say. <laughs> if, if I've said something caustic and I'm shitting on something you love, it's probably me. Um, yeah, it's probably Whitney. But uh, that's not the end of the letter. No, it's uh, not. But point being, I, my name is Whitney. It's unique enough that I don't need to abbreviate it or come up with a nickname of some kind. I think that should have been And it's been not like... so oblique like you know, Aloysius mm-hmm. or Thelonious that it needs to be sort of shortened into 
uh, like a single syllable. Witty should have been your Schmodown nickname. Witty Whitney Seibel. I liked the beauty. That was fine. That was cute. Got to be. Got to wear makeup on camera. Yeah. Um, anyway, now for my serious film question, Eric yes. says, uh, what is the first movie title that refers to Frankenstein as being the monster? Uh, for instance, who, though we think of Elsa Lanchester's character as the bride, mm-hmm. there's a plot about Dr. Frankenstein getting mm-hmm. married. Yeah. So that's the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Son of Frankenstein is about the doctor's son, not the creature. Mm-hmm. Best I can tell is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as there's no one in the film from the Frankenstein family mm-hmm. who meets the zany duo. Oh, now, wise ones, tell me about the 1933 Swedish version in which the monster is called Frankenstein. <laughs> Your patron, Eric. Well, thanks for being a patron, first of all. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I, I know Well, that... it, it, consider, though, in Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. when they make the bride, mm-hmm. Dr. Pretorius actually says, the bride of Frankenstein. That's true. Like, That's true. That's the first time that definitively that I can think of that the monster was called Frankenstein. Yeah. Because uh, that was definitely no, the not... doctor is called Frankenstein. He made a bride for his monster. Technically, she is the bride of Frankenstein. The bride via Frankenstein. Br- bride ex Frankenstein. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. In the book, isn't it Frankenstein's own wife who becomes an undead monster? That's right. Yeah. At the, so, at the end of the book. Yeah. So, like, they might, that might have been like kind of like grandfathered in from the book when the bride of Frankenstein was actually the corpse of Frankenstein's bride. Um, you're, you're thinking of Brana's movie, but yeah, yeah. Was that only in Brana's movie that they I, did that? I th- yeah, I think so. Okay, I get the. Yeah. I get it. It's been a while. It's been a long time since I read that book. Um, and there's so many other versions of the media. I freely admit I'm not an expert, um, but I feel like that scene helped cement that. I'm I'm trying to remember was because there was Frankenstein, James Wells Frankenstein, James Wells Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. Now that was Son of Frankenstein, which was actually about the son of Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, and that's largely what the movie uh, Young Frankenstein is based on, uh, and also Son of Frankenstein, very good film by mm. the way. If it wasn't for how amazing those first two are, we'd be talking about it a lot more. It's very well made. Uh, then there was, I believe, Ghost of Frankenstein, yeah, uh, which was kind of about like the legacy of Frankenstein, not really like literally a ghost thing. But then, I memory serves the one after that was Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Hmm. I don't think there was a Dr. Frankenstein in that one. Looking for, like, a... Yeah, the, let's see. Because that, definitely, that definitely predates the Abbott and Costello movie by at least two films. Yeah, in in James Whale's original film, uh, Karloff was credited as the monster. Mm-hmm. And I think in Bride of Frankenstein, he was also the monster. And, yeah. and Elsa Lanchester was the bride. Um, yeah, no, there uh, is no... Oh no! Wait, there's a there's a descendant of Frankenstein, Baroness Elsa Frankenstein, and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Oh, so I guess technically, <laughs> technically that mm. one doesn't count either. Mm. Oh, also in uh, excuse me, I'm looking up some trivia here. Um, if, if you remember that introductory sequence in Bride of Frankenstein, which yeah. is actually Mary Shelley and, oh, yeah. and and Percy Shelley and Byron sort of in their oh, in their God, ri- writing chamber. And also, Lanchester's so fucking funny. Well, she's great, bit. and and I forgot the actor who played Percy Shelley, but he's like uh, really gesticulating and doing this really theatrical performance. But in that sequence, the Lord Byron character calls the monster Frankenstein. So okay. even right after Mary Shelley had written the book, mm-hmm. according to this lore. Yeah. There, were all, there was already a mix-up. Because that kind of thing happened all the time. Like, I remember um, someone posted not too long ago, uh, I think it was in a, the obituary for William Powell, who we already mentioned was in mm. My Man Godfrey, 
Uh, he had starred in an incredibly lucrative and popular series of mystery films called The Thin Man. Yes. And there was the first film, The Thin Man, and then there were sequels like Another Thin Man, uh, or the, the was it like Song of the Thin Man or something like that, but like... They kept banking on the calling... The Thin Man's ghost. <laughs> they kept banking on calling it The Thin Man. Mm. And so a lot of people assumed William Powell was The Thin Man. Mm. He was not. The Thin no. Man was a person of they interest were in the first crime. Yeah. Like, who was The Thin Man? The thin, it's like a, the movie The Third Man. Mm. was like trying to find out who was this mystery third person who was there when Harry Lyme died. That was The Third Man. Uh, that's how The Thin Man worked out. But after a while, people just kept calling him The Thin Man. Mm. And we just let it slide you know yeah like at some point popular like sort of opinion just kind of takes hold and things are called what they're called yeah so i i I don't know i'd be very curious if we could find the inflection point where we just stopped bothering calling the monster something else yeah and just started calling the monster frankenstein the the monster is nameless you can either call it the nameless monster frankenstein's monster Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the creature, you know, some, whatever you want to. There are um, some versions where it's called itself Adam as a biblical illusion, yeah. the first man, that kind of thing. Um, I, I think the mix-up started early because you just look at the poster. It's a yeah. big portrait of Boris Karloff and the monster makeup, and underneath it says Frankenstein. It's, yeah, it looks like a label. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm Because the creature is nameless, I'm fine you calling the creature Frankenstein. Well, it's also, if you think about it, so he, if, he was if, created by Frankenstein. What's his, his name? Nice, yeah. That's the plot the, of the movie you, I Frankenstein. Hmm. Are, it's all are you? Uh, the question you need to ask yourself now is: Are you that asshole? Are you the one who's going to say, <laughs> well, "Oh, actually, oh, Frankenstein"? Yeah. Mm, Frankenstein was actually the name of the monster. <laughs> <laughs> the monster made the cereal, but it was actually named after Doctor Frankenberry. Um, the thing is, is that that's there was a moment where that was actually kind of interesting trivia. Mm. But it's and now it's, it's really just, well known. Now, and now yeah. it's just. We know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We're gonna oh, let man. we're gonna let it go. I think. I've I've an eight year old. He's very literal. You say something, you misspeak a little bit. He'll try to yeah. correct you. Sure. Like, Actually, Dad, it's like okay. I can't, <laughs> can't. I can't call my son arrogant or no. Can't get mad at him for that because he is right. But you know, I have to say, you know, what's more important, communicating or being right? And okay, the, the yeah, answer yeah. will vary from person to person. Yeah, yeah. Well, clearly being right is correct. Great. Have fun with your other arrogant friends, because that's, <laughs> that's who you're going to meet. Um, anyway, uh, next letter. Yes, please. Here's a letter from Craig. Um, Hi, Craig. Hi, Bims and Whitney. I was listening to your recent Iron List uh, for the best sci-fi horror movies yes. uh, when Whitney started a discussion uh, discussing the Darren Aronofsky movie Pie. Uh, my brain heard you correctly. That part is important to mention. Mm. But as you began discussing the plot, I found myself thinking, wait a minute, what's all this have to do with a tiger on a boat? I quickly realized <laughs> that my foolish brain had mixed itself up, and I was thinking of the 2012 film Life of Pi. I, I had to laugh. And so my question for you is this. Has that ever happened to either of you, where someone starts on a film topic that at first you think, oh, okay, before you realize you've stumbled into a mix-up? I imagine that's happened, and I'm willing to bet that it's happened during one of your shows, although I can't recall a specific example. Anyway, I hope this message finds you both doing well. Thank you for considering my question. Appreciatively yours, Craig. Well, thanks for writing in, Craig. I know uh, We've done it happened. on mic uh, oh, yeah. numerous times. Where, yeah. uh, oh, we, we did it recently, actually, I yeah. think, where we were talking about... Um, well, this is a character, actually. We were doing our Star Trek podcast. 
Oh and, yeah, we, uh, we mixed up uh, Duras and Gauron, two Klingon yeah, characters. I was referring to this one uh, because in the Star Trek: Next Generation, we're over halfway through Star Trek: Next Generation in our podcast, where we're trying to review every single episode of Star Trek ever, one per podcast. We're we're we've got a lot of those, uh, and uh, we were talking about there's this ongoing storyline in Star Trek: Next Generation about sort of the evolution of the Klingon, of the Klingon Empire and the mm-hmm. threat of civil war. And there were a bunch of people vying for uh, the throne. Uh-huh. And one of them was an asshole. <laughs> and another one was Gowron. I was talking about how much I loved Ga- of uh, uh, How much I, I couldn't remember the names. Okay. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. And then you mentioned Duras. I'm like, oh, yeah, that must be it. I love Duras. And you're like, really? You love Duras. And I'm like, yeah, I think he's cool, man. He thinks outside the box. I'm like, okay. And then later on, we realized, no, it was Galron that I liked. I, I, I suppose being a usurper is thinking outside the box a little bit, but yeah. So we screwed that up. I, I do that oh. probably more than anything else. I'm bad with uh, character names. I'm pretty good with remembering <laughs> actors, and you'll notice that, like when we review movies, it's very, very common for when we're describing a character to just say, "And then Nicole Kidman does this, and then yeah, Kevin Bacon does this," and, it's, and that's common. I've, yeah. I've seen all, all people who discuss films, even professional yeah. film critics, do that a lot. Um, when I'm writing, I try to be more specific, oh, sure. like the, you know, the, the Kevin Bacon character. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, Here's their name, or exactly. I'll, I'll actually, uh, because I have the internet, I can just yeah. look up what the character's name is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in casual discussion, I'll just refer to the actor. When I was a kid and I was like getting to know movie stars, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, the, when you see a movie star, I mean, occasionally they're doing something chameleonic, but a lot of the times you're just watching John Candy do stuff. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. comedian John Candy. You're, you're, yeah. you're there to see the yeah. star, not necessarily yeah. the, the role they're John playing. John Candy is Uncle Buck. Mm-hmm. John Candy is, is Harry Crumb. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but my thing was this when I'm watching these movies and I remember thinking I was watching some motorcycle movie or something John Candy was in and I was thinking to my son they kept calling him his character's name and I'm like that would be Armed and Dangerous no 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 Armed and Dangerous was a security guard movie (laughs) damn it that's the one where John Candy rides a motorcycle Uh, he does ride a motorcycle in that but there's one Uh, that he's actually like part of a biker gang okay and now I'm gonna look this up because it's bugging me but I was watching this movie. I, really, I, I love John Candy when oh, I was a kid, by the way. wonderful, yeah. wonderful comedian. Um, there was, uh, um, hold on, said, not, no, the Google says it's armed and dangerous. So, Masters of Menace. Oh, I didn't see Masters of Menace. It was not very well All remembered. Right. Uh, uh, David Rashi actually starred in it. Uh, but um, there's a joke in it where John Candy was like, got like a, a you know, a sexy biker girl on his arm. And she says, tell me about your tattoo. And he's like, oh, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, tell me why it says South Kadoda. And he says, well, there was a mistake. <laughs> the, the, the tattoo artist made a mistake. It's supposed to say North Kadoda. <laughs> that always made me laugh. That's, That's just a funny joke. But they kept calling him by his character's name. And I remember watching this and I'm like 10. And I'm like, I know that's John Candy. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, you're not hiding. You're, you're banking on that being John Candy. And I remember thinking to myself, why don't the really famous actors just just call them? Just call Tom Cruise Tom in his movies. Well, they, we all know it's Tom Cruise. They, they do You're not a lot fooling of... anyone. Acting has become kind of kind of tertiary at that point in most of these roles. I'm going to look up Jack Nicholson and see how many times he's played a character named Jack. I know he has. That's he, happened a he, lot. He played Jack Napier in uh, uh, mm. uh, Batman. And yeah, Jack 
Torrance in yeah. uh, in The Shining. That's a fairly common um, name, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's that is something that has happened. See, but like, I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger ever played an Arnold. No, in fact, you look up his mm-hmm. his character names. Oh, and and they're always like these aggressively like American names. John Matrix or, or yeah. Jack Slater. It? Jack Slater. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was it in Kindergarten Cop? It's like John Kimball or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always... It, or it, How- Howard something and Jingle yeah. All the Way. Like, he plays, yeah, these really kind of super American names. Yeah. He never, he never plays, you know... Actually yeah, someone from where he's like, from. Like an, like, like, a, like an Austrian like, character. Yeah, yeah. Always fun. Let's see always here. Um, he played Jake Giddis in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He played Jack Torrance in The Shining. He also played Jake Giddis in The Two Jakes. That's right. Which he directed. Was play, a sequel uh, Jack to Napier in Batman. I played Jack Hoffa in Hoffa. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay, maybe it's happened less than I thought. Okay, but, but it's I'm happened. Kind of, kind of looking. It around. has happened. It has happened. And Jack Nicholson has not made a feature film since How Do You Know in mm-hmm. 2010. I think he's kind of retired. He, now. He's kind of retired. They he was cast in. Oh God, they were going to remake some popular like European comedy. About like a woman and her like embarrassing dad and I can't for the life remember what it was. Right. And they said he was going to do it and then that might have been derailed by the by the by COVID. Oh, and they okay. just, I, I think it's just on the back and, burner now. But and, like, and, and he's like in his mid eighties now. He's just going to go to. It's okay to retire, you know. It's he's fine. Go, Jack, go to Lakers games. Jack That's all Nicholson he earned it. Yeah. <laughs> My God, he does not like, have to keep on working. Yeah, he worked his ass off for decades, making some of the most beloved characters in film history. Like it, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, anyway, um, oh, and here's actually uh, another letter about names. Uh, this one comes from FNI, uh, your friend Fabio. Hello, Ooh, Fabio. Hello, um, Fabio. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. My name is Fabio. Hello, nice. Fabio. This is the third time I write to you, and first of all, I want to say thank you for not oh, being not only great friends of each other, but to all of us who care, who uh, were brought to your relationship through your podcast and creating that warm feeling that we all that we are all friends. Oh, thanks. This has been a great help for my mental health. Oh, well, glad. glad. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Thank you so much. Glad we could bicker about movies and yeah. help someone. Uh, however, there are a few things that I feel need to talk to you about. Okay. What, what the fuck is it with dumb names of action heroes? You try to write a story and the best name you can come up with is Tyler Rake. <laughs> which is a, the character from the two Extraction movies. Yes. Uh, who is his arch nemesis? Sideshow Bob? <laughs> does he ever use a rake to kill a militia? Why does John Wick never light up a, a dynamite stick wick? I used to think that uh, when Jeff Loeb came up with John Matrix in Commando, that would be the Eggpex of dumb action man name, but then again, it could be worse, like superhero names, such as Cable. <laughs> Cable will, made no for, sense ever. Who will forever be bound around a spool? <laughs> K- yeah, Cable, Cable is one of the I guess he, he wasn't a movie. It was in uh, one of the Deadpool movies. Eventually, yeah. but he was created in the comics, and he was he was a, he was just a character who was like he was just he was cool. A, he was an he was older a, man, a, a tough he, a tough guy, gun toting yeah. dude, but he was from the future, and he had a cyborg arm yeah, and like and a then, cyborg eye. And then it, and then it turned out that he was actually the son of Cyclops and Jean Grey, who had been sent to the future mm-hmm. for reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he had he had developed the techno organic virus, and it was the only way to save him. And that's why his arm was yeah, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, even though that broke continuity, because in one of his first appearances, he said he built it himself. And then it's like, oh, okay, like, oh, I don't it was really stupid looking too. I hated the design of Gable. Oh, like, yeah. I, I followed was, the character because he was around, but yeah, Cable was one of those characters who was very specifically uh, part of the wave of. Every superhero needs to have a lot of pouches. 
Yeah, those th- those big at the time. Like Batman that's, that's, had a utility uh, Ro- belt. Rob Liefeld, yeah. the comic book artist, kind of pioneered that. Yeah, he, he co-created Cable and he co-created Deadpool as well. But yeah, every superhero had to have a ton of pouches. The thing is, is that Batman actually uses his pouches. So yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, this is my detective kid, and here's a rope, and here's a batarang. Mm-hmm. Like he's got useful stuff yeah. for his various crime fighting. Um, have you ever seen Cyclops pop open a pouch and like take out some gum? Yeah. Never once, oh, yeah. have you? It's just there. I, I saw it every once in a while, but it was rare. You know, they would it's be covered, covered with little pouches. And, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, from a practical standpoint, sure, you're going out on mm-hmm. dangerous superhero missions. You don't know when you're going to have food, so one of them has like a cliff bar in it. When it comes to the idea of uh, characters, especially like uh, sort of broadly heroic characters, having, you know, kind of absurd names. Um, I think that I think that's, that goes all the way back to the old pulp era with guys like Flash Gordon, which mm-hmm. was unironically his name. Um, I, I mean, that that might have been a nickname, but regardless, everyone called him Flash Gordon. Uh, it was a, he was a sports hero. I mean, that might have helped, you know, like he got like a nickname or something. But there was this tendency to have a lot of these, uh, and I and I use this term just because it's like sort of. Um, uh, traditionally what they're called i don't think it's a great name for it but the boys adventure story okay where uh the hero is larger than life and they would have a larger than life name like the kind of name that like you'd want to have of like your your name was like eustace or just something that's like a little Mm. a little unusual in the realms of like americana um but, like, you know, you can imagine, like... Oh, you know what it was? There was an MST3K episode where they were talking about the various guys who played uh, uh, Hercules. Okay. Alan Steele was mm-hmm. one of the real St- guys. Steve Reeves, but yeah, Alan Steele yeah. was a real actor who played yeah. Hercules. And so their their theory was, you know, the most manly names were, uh, like, a kind of a, a simple, striking one, you know... Uh, Single-syllable uh, name with, like, so, yeah, some hard consonants in it, yeah. and then a, 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 hard, a hard surface, surface yeah. You know? So, like, I'm going to be Rick, R-I-C, Drywall. <laughs> yeah, they're making fun of that. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Vic, Vic Kevlar yeah, was one of them. Drake uh, Tungsten. Drake Tungsten. Yeah. These names sound... <laughs> Nick Pigire. <laughs> somehow somehow we, we decided as a culture that those names sound virile and not, oh. like, tryhards. Uh-huh. But, like, yeah, like, you know, James Bond. That's got a, that's got a nice, like, kind of, like, punchy Punchies ring to, say, to it. Yeah. But, like, Bond is just, like... It, it, it's not like, oh, my name is James Titanium. You know, yeah. something about that always seems like hyperbolic. Yeah. You know? And yeah, some people really are, do have the last name Steel or mm-hmm. Silver or some other cool, you know, kind of mineral or something is their last name. Um, not, not usually. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you ever fantasized about having like a cooler name? Oh, God, no. No? No. Not, not uh. for a Like... The speaking of my own personal name, again, oh, yeah. I, I tried going by my middle name for a little bit. My oh. middle name is Stephen with PH. Okay, I tried to be Stephen Seibold for a second. Yeah. You sound like you sound like a you sound like an English professor. I suppose so, but yeah. uh, n- nobody nobody. I said I want you to call me Stephen now. No, we're not no. going to do that. <laughs> nobody respected it. Um, I I had I toyed with the idea of when I uh, started writing having like a pseudonym. Like a, a fun pen name, yeah. And uh, I did for a little bit. I abandoned it, but uh, yeah, I remember when I was a kid. I was very surprised to find out that Doctor Doom was his real name. 
Yeah, Victor Von, Von Doom. Doom. Yeah. It should be Doctor Von Doom, really. If Shouldn't we're being it technical. Yeah. But um, yeah, I always thought that was the coolest thing ever, and I was like, oh, I should change my name to William Doom. William Von Doom. Because then, I, then I'd like have to direct horror movies. <laughs> yeah, it's another one of those. It's another Doom yeah. movie. Oh, here we go. My uh, my my older sister's middle name is Starlin. S T A R L Y N. And uh, my mom did that as, like, a built-in stage name. Just nice. in case she became famous. Just in case you want it. Yeah. Love it. Anyway, uh, there's more parts to this. Oh, letter. sorry, yeah. um, Regarding the Iron List. Mm. This, this, this is still a letter from Fabio. Uh, regarding the Iron List of the One Location movies. Uh, Phone Booth. The Joel ah. Schumacher movie with Colin Farrell on a call with Kiefer Sutherland. And Hard Candy. The one with uh, mm. pre-transition Elliot Page attacks... Patrick Wilson to confronting regarding some of the bad things he might have done yes. uh, came to mind on the subject. I would like to know what you think of those two movies. Mm. Uh, phone booth, pretty good. Uh, uh, good gimmick movie. Good gimmick. Can movie, we do yeah. an entire movie with a guy in a phone booth? Yeah. Um, Should have been a period piece. Should have been a period. It's it about. Helped. It's like the last phone booth in New York. They actually yeah. stayed because it came out in the early two thousand. Well, it was it was written uh, by Larry Cohen, who's one of the best genre screenwriters ever. And the idea he'd been kicking that around since the seventies. Apparently, the story goes he pitched it to Hitchcock. Oh no, get But it. he hadn't like cracked it yet. He couldn't think of the the best reason why he had to stay in a phone booth. Okay. And it wasn't until later that he was like, of course, there's oh, a sniper so trained on him. He was like on the phone with him. And had he who knows, had he figured that out in nineteen seventy two Hitchcock <laughs> might have done Phone Booth, and wow. that would have been really, really cool. Yeah. Um it's a fun movie. I, I hmm. they, it's a simple premise that maybe it would have been better as like a Alfred Hitchcock presents episode or something like that, like a little shorter, a little punchier. Uh-huh. But it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hard Candy is a rough one. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it's it very deliberately goes to some incredibly mm. uncomfortable places yeah. about uh, sexual assault and the way uh, young girls are treated in in mm. sort of this over sexualized society we live in, and it essentially puts you in a, a room with two complete monsters, mm-hmm. and it asks you which of them is worse. Yeah, and it actually like tries to go really hard in like developing sympathy for both of these characters which makes you feel icky because they're yeah. both really horrible characters um i i like how provocative it is i think it's not necessarily a, a wholly effective drama because i don't think it comes to a really salient point at the end right but i i appreciate how uh how daring it is this reminds me uh earlier in the episode someone asked us why we didn't put a uh, beetlejuice and rocky horror Unless, and we kind of skimmed over that. Uh, for me, uh, again, we decide our criteria ourselves, and they're sometimes a little different. Uh, my criteria for the best films that were done in one location was that filming in one location would be a limitation the filmmakers had to overcome. And in the case of Beetlejuice, where technically it's all in a house, but there's a lot of but variation. They go into in like house. The, the afterlife. Yeah. And, uh... They go into the afterlife, the house undergoes these enormous transformations. It's not really limited by anything. It just happens to take place all in a haunted house, like a lot of haunted house movies. So, while you could argue it, I, I don't think it's in the spirit of the thing. And I feel the same way about Rocky Horror, which is a little closer to it. And like this but old there, dark but house like kind a of way. Lab in there yeah, and there's, there's a dining hall. There's a ton of variety. Uh, there is a ton of variety. It's a big show if it had all here. been in the dining hall. I would have considered it eligible. If Beetlejuice had been entirely in that one attic, I would have considered it eligible. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you could argue that it is. There's a lot of the things that we do on the Iron List, you know, they're kind of broad topics and you can decide to just keep them broad or you can narrow it down a little. And we chose, I chose anyway, to narrow it yeah. down a little. Whitney didn't narrow it down quite as much. 
But uh, yeah, so right. that that's why. But those are great movies, obviously. Right. Um, well, there's yeah. a bit more to this letter yeah. um, uh, about the podcast over Godzilla vs. Hedera mm. it's the smog monster um, you commented over a few things over the Marvel movies and DC Comics movies something that has to do with the well-intentioned villain Gene uh, G- G- Villain so dumb mm. it's a great name mm. and I believe we can start uh, by start by a quote that serves as the starting for the Mark Fisher book Capitalist Realism mm. that says that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism because <laughs> world hunger or lack of resources in the world is the product of the capitalist regime of accumulation where you can't monetize something that's as good as garbage. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And I know there's been a lot of um, people who are far smarter than I uh, who have written very intelligently about the sort of uh, capitalist and philosophical underpinnings to a lot of mm-hmm. these superhero movies and why they were so popular right when they were. Yeah. Um, but and, and, I, and I think, yeah, that's a, a big part of it is, I've heard this about how mm-hmm. villains represent, uh, even though they're villains, they're still trying to push kind of a post-capitalist idea. Yeah. And that's not going to jive well with well-moneyed superheroes who actually, especially in the Avengers mm-hmm. case, like the MCU, are very wealthy and very visible celebrities. Yeah. Well, again, the thing about superheroes, and listen, I love I love superhero stuff as much as anybody, but I'm also perfectly willing to think critically about it. The vast majority of superheroes that we know of that are popular, whether they admit it to themselves or not, are enforcing a status quo. Yeah. They yeah. are keeping trying to keep things the way they are. They are they are following the laws that are on the books. Maybe not the laws against vigilantism, but other yeah. than that. Uh, although if you could you could argue of course that the very existence of Superman is flying in the face of social convention because if we need a Superman, the cops are doing something wrong and of course the answer must be yes. Uh, but they don't really want to go there. What they really want to go with is truth, justice, and the American way. We're going to fight for these very specific ideals, and what they very specifically mean in those contexts is usually maintain status quo. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate it when a hero tries to deviate from the status quo and actually has an idea or a thought or tries. Uh, I really liked um, uh, in the in the 70s uh, the Green, uh, Green Lantern, who's this outer space cop, who absolutely is about the status quo, uh, was confronted by uh, people on Earth after he like saved the day, and he was like, "Okay, you can you can praise me now." I'm mean, cocky, and someone was just like, "Actually, fuck you! <laughs> no, fuck you! Like you you're, you're doing you're, you're you're out there and like you're working for blue guys and you're you're beating up space aliens, but what are you actually doing with this power? Mm. Like, what have you ever actually done? Like for, on a practical like, level, yeah. like there there are people in this country. This is in the seventies, like there are people in this country who are absolutely oppressed and people in the whole world that are absolutely oppressed because of the color of their skin or how they identify and all you're doing is punching meteors and yeah okay thank you but also is that really all you can do (laughs) and he ended up teaming up with uh, the most famous ultra liberal in comics the the green arrow who actually did believe in that he was rich but he was trying to put it to good use uh and uh, yeah, he, he, he there was a whole series where they went on a road trip, just trying to like in a car, no flying, just trying to get to know the America that as superheroes and a rich guy they completely lost. Yeah, at least you're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to 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 reckon with that. You know, when people talk about things like I know people consider it trite, 
Yeah, that like, you know, oh, Batman. Well, if he's a billionaire, shouldn't he be doing something more valuable than being Batman? Uh, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> and I like that well, he's I'm... Batman too, don't get me wrong, but if we're going to take it seriously, that's the message, the, uh... isn't it? He's, he's, he's upholding the status quo. I'm sure he's donating to charity. I'm sure he started some no. charities. You know what hasn't changed? The status quo. He gets to still be rich out of yeah. the end of all this. But this continues. Oh, um, sorry. E- even the Paul Dini, Alex Ross, Peace on Earth book that yeah. Biggs brought up is wrong in the depiction of what it's trying to say because it shows only African warlords as the food hoarders when, in fact, we all know that poverty and hunger in certain communities are what Gordon Gecko called greed. Uh, even the L.A. Skid Row people, because yep. the less people have, the more that they would ask for. Uh, their work and the bigger the profit so greed is good uh, the mm-hmm. Thanos of it is that all that if you cut the population in half the har- hardship would persist in a capitalist society oh, sure. like ours because the problem is not the lack of resources it's the maddening accumulation of it yeah um, something that really bothered me um, I mean this is, bothers me across a lot of superhero cinema uh, mm-hmm. because it takes place in such of every simple clean morally absolute universe good guys yeah. bad guys good guys do heroic things uh, and, At the end of the day, the bad by, guy has been stopped and yeah, things are fine. Exactly, yeah. and by, by syllogistic reasoning, so if uh, a hero does so- anything, that is a heroic thing, because they are a hero, they can't do an unheroic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter, like, they, they kill just as many people as the villains, but those are righteous mm-hmm. kills in their case, because yeah. they're good guys. Good yeah. guys only do good we're not, kills. We're not, we're not going yeah. to hold a tribunal it's, to yeah, see if, although, except for that one time. With, yeah, the, maybe with the Scarlet Witch, question. and even then, like we forgot about it by the end of the movie. Yeah, like yeah. fuck it. Like it's. it's but, uh, yeah. And uh, I, I remember in like the most recent Ant Man movie, Quantum Mania. Uh, Quantum Mania. Mm. There's um, a, a scene where his teenage daughter has mm. like she's got Ant Man technology. She yeah. can like shrink cop cars and stuff, and she's protesting. Yeah. Out in the streets in San Francisco, uh, because. There's a homelessness issue. And they yeah. mentioned, you know, because of the events of these movies, yeah. like half the population of the universe vanished and then they were yeah. restored five years later. Yeah, which uh, is, and they, had to be untold. It was chaos to start with yeah. and then five years later, it's like, more chaos. Th- this this is un- this is going to cause untold devastation. Oh, yeah. Like, and the, 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 which is something the movies don't ever bother to address. Mm-hmm. And uh, she says, there's a big homelessness problem because people were gone and now they're back. Yeah. And it... It just highlights the fact that these superheroes don't do anything to fix no. real-world problems when they have more than enough capability to do mm. it. They have the technology and the righteous attitudes, and they're not actually out there solving homelessness problems. Well, again, if you give your superheroes the capacity to do something about all those things, mm. an Iron Man, a Batman, mm. uh, you know, that they have the means to make a meaningful difference yeah. in the entire world if... You know, leading by example, uh, you know, redistributing wealth, actually uh, founding uh, things that actually fix things like in the economy or mm-hmm. the climate change or whatever. Uh, however, not every superhero is that gigantic. And this is something that I was always kind of like unhappy with and how the MCU handled Spider-Man. Uh-huh. He was a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He yeah. just dealt with his neighbor. You can't have everybody working on a macro level. You need people working locally. Spider-Man is to, you know, the comics, at least he has been, not always, but traditionally Spider-Man is to Iron Man what, like, a city council person is to the president. (laughs) I am responsible for less. I'm working just as hard within a smaller area, 
but I'm getting to know people differently and I'm working probably with, in the case of Spider-Man, smaller crimes. Yeah. The majority of Spider-Man's villains, yeah, they're mad scientists who turn themselves into animals or whatever, but they're mostly used, usually just like robbing banks and shit. Yeah. Occasionally he'll get wrapped up in something bigger than himself. I think Spider-Man has an excuse. <laughs> he doesn't have them. What are you doing here? Sorry. sorry. Okay. He doesn't have the means. Mm. A lot of them do. And when you keep focusing on them, it raises the question. And again, you want to say, oh, but they're superheroes. They are. But when so much of our culture is revolving around something, giving we, we, it a critical eye is fair. Well, it's not just fair. It's it's wholly necessary. Yeah. We need to figure out what people are taking from these. Why are these mm-hmm. things so popular right now? And if we're delving into it and finding that mm-hmm. people are taking a lot of unhealthy obsessions from these things, mm-hmm. then that's the job as critics to sort of point that out. I think if you're enjoying superhero entertainment on a superficial level, that that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But to deny that there are other levels in which to discuss it, even if they're making points you disagree with... Um, I think that's at best naive, and yeah. at worst, it's a little dangerous because we're we're basically allowing ourselves, we're training ourselves to not delve into the art that we consume. Yeah, we're not we're looking at we're we're thinking about the flavor, but not the nutritional value. And in the short run, yeah, you can get away with that. In the long run, if you're eating nothing but Hostess ding dongs, you know your cholesterol is going to go up. That's 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 just a thing, you know? And you can take fish oil and it'll help and stuff like that, but you at least have to take the fish oil. This metaphor really got away from me. I don't know. I recently found out I have to take fish oil. But, like, my point is this. Um, we, we should be talking about all this stuff. All right, move on. All right. I'm so tired. Um, sorry, I went... Maybe maybe we have like one after this. I'm sorry yeah. I went too political. I live in Brazil. This has been very hard to approach my entertainment from this point of view since we just replaced a dumb fascistic moron of a president and had to walk back. Uh, the walk back has been, let me just say, slow. Uh, also, uh, every time you two talk about video games, mm. you bring up the King of Kong. But since the documentary has a scumbag named Billy Mitchell as the subject, yeah. can I suggest another movie about Please. games and world records? In January uh, was released a movie called Running with Speed which mm. is about speedrunning uh, and oh, yeah. the community around it uh, and the events that organize every year that raises millions of dollars for charity. Uh, hope it's not too long. Hope this finds you and your family as well. Your friend, Fabio. I, uh, uh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, however, I just learned recently of a new... I've seen in video games this sort of interactive sort of commentary system quality where like as you're playing through the game, there'll be like a marker mm-hmm. and you can like pause the game and like the creators of the game will talk about how they developed this puzzle or this plot point or this location that's very very informative uh there is apparently a new game documentary hybrid uh-huh. called the making of karateka uh, k-a-r-a-t-e-k-a which was i'm not terribly familiar with actually but it was a very influential game in a lot of ways regarding uh design okay uh and it's about a karate expert who's saving the day somehow uh but like they used it was like one of the first games to use like rotoscoping it was very innovative in the way it actually conveyed a narrative and there there was apparently a very interesting sort of hybrid play through the game while also watching it as a documentary experience uh i do not have steam which is apparently the only way to get it right now but it sounds neat and i'm interested in seeing how that uh, can come together because the lines between 
gaming and cinema are sometimes very distinct uh-huh. and sometimes extremely blurry. And I can blame Don Bluth for that. Because uh, we mentioned it earlier uh, with the game Dragon's Lair, which at the time when like most arcade games, and it was still very arcade-centric, uh, were... Yeah, they look good, but like, you know, they were relatively like primitive by modern standards in terms of how they looked. Uh, Don Bluth came up with an interactive, fully animated movie, basically, called Dragon Slayer. And there's a beautifully animated, like it looked just like Secret of Nim type animation. Uh, And he was a knight and he was saving uh, the princess from an evil castle uh, full of monsters and things. And every scene uh, would be him engaged with some sort of danger. And at one point, like a part of the screen would flash, and you would either have to press the action button or the directional pad. And, and you had in that like a, a third of a pike a second, yeah, to hit it. Like it had to be really precise. And it wasn't always clear what you should do. Do you move the the mm. thing away from that into that? Do you press the action button? Do you not press the action button? It was criminally difficult and unlike a lot of the other video games at the time which uh, really involved a lot of memorization because there were specific patterns so if you remember the pattern Mm -hmm. in Donkey Kong you can do better in Donkey Kong if you remember the pattern in Centipede you can do better in Centipede Uh, the scenes in Dragon Slayer played randomly (laughs) so you could finally (laughs) pick one up but then it wouldn't show up that game or it would Mm -hmm. show up Ten scenes later, and you're confronted with a new one you weren't ready you, for. You, you got it was six, death. six rolls of quarters and still not get through that. Thing. But regardless, the that was one of the first things that successfully blurred the lines between cinematic uh, uh, storytelling and video game narratives, uh, and it's used a lot of things that we still use today. That's basically what popularized like the idea of the quick time event. Uh, so I don't think Don Bluth gets enough credit personally right. but um in any case karateka sounds like an interesting thing as well and i right. i hope it's as good as i've heard but right. maybe it is and uh and in my defense about the king of kong billy mitchell is off camera for most of that thing yeah by, by design like, in fact a lot of the, uh, the movie is kind of about how he refuses to mix with the hoi polloi he kind you know, of comes across kind of like, like the a, villain yeah he, which he's always, kind of the bad guy in that movie yeah so. but, but and again yeah hmm uh, but so I, I don't. I don't think it ruins that one. But it does. It is sort of like. Uh, I mean, it's more about Steve Weeby, who uh, yeah. who is like the challenger. Yeah. And you know, trying trying to beat Billy Mitchell's record, and there's like some suspicion maybe Billy Mitchell's cheating, and they don't know. Yeah. So Billy Mitchell, yeah, he's an a hole, but the movie's frank about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one one more letter. At least one. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Blair. Hi, Blair. Um, Good afternoon, uh, you fine gents from a cold, windy, rainy Regina, Canada. Ooh. Ooh, That is the capital of Saskatchewan. Neat. Um, I hope this message finds you both doing well and loving life. Here is a hopefully fun question for you. Hmm. I'm giving you each $250,000. Oh, thank goodness. Okay, thank God. Oh, gosh, I could pay off. Oh, Oh, wait, just theoretically. Sorry. Uh, You get to create your own niche video store to run out of your hometown. Number one, what would be the name of your niche video store? <laughs> Two, what would the top five categories you would invest in and heavily promote? For example, uh, badly dubbed Italian action movies, movies featuring pro wrestlers, Mexican animation, Peruvian romance, or even Mongolian comedies. And uh, number three, what would be something or somethings extra that you would include in your video store that Blockbuster never had? Mm-hmm. For example, viewing booths for five minutes. Mm. In-store guests for signings and photo ops from some of your favorite cult films. If you show up in person, 
in character of a certain movie you can rent for half price. Something gimmicky. And number four, last question before I let you fellas loose. What would be the top five movies you would want to be featured and why those top five? Stay classy, guys. Blair. Um, oh my goodness. That, they, oh, that'd be fun. Well, first of all, that? 250 grand, we're in LA. That's not enough to open a business. No, but we I could under- do it in a, in a small, cool, I hip town, so. you know? Um, what's the name of my niche video store? Mm. Um, Magnetic yeah. Tapeworm. That's what I call my, my niche video store. <laughs> uh, um, let me, let me, I'm going to think about that yeah. for a minute. Um, God, I have thought about this so much, though. Oh, golly. Well, the yeah. problem is we live in L.A., and we've actually experienced some of the great video stores. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Cinephile Video and Vidiots have already kind of... And Movie Madness, which is actually in Portland. Um, these are movies, uh, video rental stores, that have kind of outstripped what I could have ever possibly imagined. They taught mm-hmm. me what a great video store is supposed to look like. Um, so what I appreciated about both Vidiots and Cinephile is that they, uh, they cordon off their movies by director... They have director's walls. So if you're looking for, you know, to delve into film history, you can start learning the names of the people who directed, you know, some of the great films, the kinds of, uh, uh, and even at Vidiots, they'd even go one further. Like they'd actually separate out directors by what they're known for. So here's like the Italian horror masters over here. Mm-hmm. Here's like famous cult directors. They'd be over in the cult section. Um, uh, movie madness was a really good one because, uh, that that's the one in Portland. They would have sort mm-hmm. of, uh, better known category categories like sections in the yeah. front of the store so you know comedy films romance films mm-hmm. action pictures you go down a long hallway and you go into an entire separate room as big as the front room uh-huh. there's what they called the psychotronic section yeah and that was all of the weird shit yeah. all of the weird cult movies that you never heard of before all you know if you want to film see a film called over sex drug suckers from mars yeah which is on blu-ray now which is a little weird but um yeah uh, real movie. I didn't just make that up. I oh, yeah, it's I've a real seen thing. that movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like if you want trauma, way too mainstream. I remember going there and uh, picking up a movie that was in a white clamshell um, VHS cassette case mm-hmm. with no insert. It was just this blank white box with a post it note stuck on it <laughs> on the exterior of the box. Did you die after said, watching it? That said Femme de Sade. And and also written, in, I think with misspellings, with like mm. a ballpoint pen on that uh, note was this film was banned in seven countries. Okay, Ooh. that was that was tantalizing you enough have that we rented that, that one. It it turned out to be just this really gross porno movie. Yeah. But uh, I came up I come up with my uh, with the name of my store, uh-huh. the assassination of streaming services by the hero physical media. <laughs> Um, I love it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know what the acronym is. Like, I'm not that smart, but that's that's going to be my name. Um, I would love... I, I, I We grew up around a place called Cinephile. Yeah. I love it to pieces. It's still there. Um, the, and, and maybe Vidiot's the, re, reopened. Vidiot's reopened. It's nice. It's nice, it's, by it's the way. Like, it's, it's, a movie, it's a movie it's, theater now. It's actually now, mostly yeah. a movie theater now, but yeah. they do have a cool video section, and they still rent stuff, mm-hmm. and apparently they're doing very, very well, uh, and that's great. Um but my favorite video store I've ever been to was Scarecrow Video in Seattle. Uh, oh, there's is, a store? I, oh, I know, yeah. I know it's a label. Is it this connected with Scarecrow no, Video as I a label? I don't know, honestly. But uh, Scarecrow Video uh, was... I, I don't know if this is still true, but there was a time when they claimed, I guess, uh, truthfully, uh, that they had the second or third biggest video library behind like the library of congress in ucla oh wow okay uh, and I, you walk in and you believe it it's like multiple stories and like 
Um, and this, and they have wonderful sections that are like hyper specific and larger than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, I was visiting my sister who lived there for a few years, uh, not in the store in Seattle, uh, but it was very close to Scarecrow Video. And I'm like, we have to go, and I just I explored. I found movies that I'd never, I'd seen as a kid, but never found on home video before. But they wouldn't <laughs> sell them; as they were rare. Um, and we had to rent something, so uh, we went to I, I we went, picked a random category. Uh, documentaries about wrestlers was a whole section. Nice. And we got a documentary about Rowdy Roddy Piper, which was fascinating. Okay. It was really great, actually. Um, so that's a delight. And apparently, Scarecrow Video now does um, physical media mailers. Okay. Uh, they won't send anything like rare, uh-huh. but they will fill that niche that Netflix left. Mm. So if you go to the Scarecrow Video website, they do that now, and you should check that out if you want to support right. them and free more business media. But um, I Blood. thought I would probably model it after that in terms of like the size and the scope. I want mm. you to walk in and be impressed by how much physical media there is. I want you to be like, wow, I have sure. to go exploring. I want the different sections to have like almost themed, mm. you know? Like I want like the giant monster section to have like statues oh, of oh, giant yeah, monsters like looming over decorated. you okay. yeah I want, it, I want it to be fun I want you to go in there for a good time I, I, and the uh, actual act of browsing is worth doing in and of itself I that, want to encourage browsing that, that's fun I, I've my, I always like my browsing experience to be a little bit more archival like I, I prefer well, video have, stores to look a little bit more like a library it will definitely or, be thorough don't get me wrong it's either a library or it's like a, a really not very well kept coffee shop from the 90s like a yeah. little bit dusty a lot of concrete well I would love um, to be able to like serve coffee as well like, yeah I, that's the thing is I think we miss spaces physical spaces to shop and browse and hang out and meet like-minded people. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to go in, search for a thing, and leave. I want you to go in every day. Mm-hmm. I want this to be something... I look forward to it. This is my Saturday. I go to the assassination of streaming services mm-hmm. by the Hero Physical Media. <laughs> and I see that they have new posters up, and I check out... Uh, I talk to other people and find out what they're renting, and I uh, get to ask the people who work there for their opinions about like what's cool and what I don't know about in the store. Did you know that there's a secret section? <laughs> there is. Here... <laughs> I, I like yours. Uh, I, yeah. I like the idea of having a space. And, you know, yeah. we've heard stories from people who have, like, a streaming service. And they just sort of spend mm-hmm. two hours thumbing through and not choosing a feature film. Yeah. Um, that's what we did at Video Stories. We just browsed yeah. for two hours. But we're, like, talking to other people. Mm-hmm. We're asking for recommendations from actual experts who know yeah. what they're talking about. And uh, we're, a... we're learning by association. We're stumbling upon mm-hmm. things we wouldn't have seen otherwise. And th- there's a, there's and, a uh, tacit thing as well where if you went to all the trouble of going there, mm-hmm. you probably left with something. Yeah, yeah. Even if they didn't have what you wanted. Like, oh, they were rented out of, mm-hmm. I don't know, Hearts right. in Atlantis. So I guess I'll get... The Undersea Kingdom. That's also about Atlantis, right? <laughs> Boom. Like, something. You know, like, I want to encourage browsing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, the thing is, I, I always admired... Because uh, I felt this way when I was a teenager going to Vidiots. Uh, especially um, that place over on Melrose, Mondo Video Agogo, or maybe it wasn't on Melrose. I, it was I on never, Vermont. I never got to go there. Yeah, because it was scary, right? <laughs> that's that's the vibe I want. I want something that's like a little bit threatening. You go in there and it's like. I don't really feel okay in here. Mm-hmm. Do they really have a whole section devoted to 1970s Italian porno? And, you know, if you're at home, you're at home. <laughs> 
I but if you're not at home, you're gonna like you're gonna start delving through some really freaky shit, and that's that that's kind of what I want I want to mm-hmm. get into. Um, you think about blockbuster, mm-hmm. the opposite of that. We hated blockbuster. The nostalgia for blockbuster is not for video not from video store rats uh-huh. who hung actually hung out and spent their time mm-hmm. hanging hanging out at video stores. Blockbuster was the enemy. Yeah. They were the ones that were muscling out the more interesting local videos. And stores. I realized that a lot of people who... And for some people, Blockbuster was all they had. Yeah. I appreciate that. The reason it was all you had is because Blockbuster muscled out all of the they, other stores. They did that on purpose. They, they did. found local video stores. And destroyed them on purpose. nearby on yeah. purpose, hoping to siphon off business, and they did. Like, I'm sorry that the thing you loved as a kid was pretty wicked, but it was. Yeah. And it's okay that you have nostalgia for it. I totally get it. But to pretend that that's not the case is is strange. And I don't mean to gatekeep here. It's like these are the real video stores. But those were, in many respects, better video stores. And I want to encourage that. I just had a great idea, by the way. Hmm. I want to have uh, in the center of my store, that's where the uh, uh, the sort of the cashiers and the checkout is. Okay. Um, and on, above it, a movie theater marquee. Okay. And on the movie theater marquee, there'll be like some stuff about new releases or whatever, but every day, there's a riddle. And if you can find, like in a Nickelodeon thing, if you can find the one piece of physical media in the store, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a documentary, whatever, that that is the answer to that riddle, you can rent it for free. (laughs) Whoever the first person to figure it out gets to rent it for free. Boom. Done. So your video store is fun. I want to be fun. I want like uh, a case full of pins you can pin to your leather jacket. You know, some some uh-huh. merch you could sell up. You at, can at do the that front. too. Uh, I want to be like the only store in town where you can get like a Gorgon video T-shirt. Um, I'm so, also so happy with like having that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- none of what I want precludes most of what you. I think you want a certain amount of. Edge. Aust- well, you want edge, but you also want some austerity as well. Bit, yeah. You want it to be like an official library. Mm. I want that too, but I do. I just want it to feel like. Like a theme park, a little bit, you okay. know, like like Tim Burton designed it or something. Yeah. You know? So, you, yeah. so so you want a theme park, and I essentially want a punk rock club. Those are both good. Yeah. So, I, so <laughs> those come, are great. Come, if if you want something a little dangerous, come to Magnetic Tapeworm. We'll take care of you. We'll, yeah. we'll set you up with that Italian porno movie and this yeah. monster film that'll make you barf. Let us know what you think when you yeah. get back. Uh, if you if you want to if, if, if you if, if you break it, you owe us fucking two hundred dollars. So don't right. break it. If you want uh, the video store Tim Burton would have designed in nineteen eighty five before his <laughs> style solidified, <laughs> you come to the assassination of streaming services by the hero physical media. <laughs> You're welcome. There we go. Yeah. Again, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Again, sorry we haven't done more of these lately. Once we establish a certain amount of equilibrium, once I get internet at my new apartment, uh, it'll be a lot easier for us to record as often as we used to, uh, and we'll be back up and running, and we're all very excited to do it. I've been very stir-crazy. Not podcasting. It, it's it's kind of weird how, yeah, how much it miss it. We miss it when it's not yeah, happening. Yeah, we, we do this because yeah. we really love it. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on that journey. Thank you for supporting us. And thank you for your patience this month. We know it's been a weird one. Um, and, uh, of course, if you want to write into a future letter uh, letters episode of We've Got Mail, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is yeah, our PO send, box? Send us a physical letter. We're not getting so many that we won't read every one. Yeah, uh, so, so yeah, send us a letter, pretty much guaranteed we're going to read yeah, it on To put it more cleanly, show. if you send us a physical letter, we will read it. We'll, we will read it. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, Anything in our mailbox that isn't like a mailer from Nordstrom's, we will read. 
Oh, we could read a mailer from Nordstrom. Uh, no, they have to pay. There's a Brazil <laughs> sale. How no, they they oh, I'm not I'm not I'm not shilling for Nordstroms for no, free. No, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the <laughs> they criti- have money. The critically acclaimed network PO Box six four one five six five Los Angeles California nine double zero six. Yep. And of course, uh, we discussed a lot of our Patreon stuff on this episode. If you want to head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, you get uh, this episode and all of our future episodes ad free. Uh, you get uh, a ton of exclusive uh, shows from the past, including Holy Batman. We reviewed every episode of the Adam West Batman. Out of Gas, we did every episode of Firefly. Not on Disney Plus. We talked about some of the things that Disney is trying to sweep under the rug. <laughs> uh, we have ongoing shows like uh, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every Star Trek ever. Uh, we do commentary tracks. We have uh, shows about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. There's so much over there. We really do try to make it worth your while. Uh, so thank you to all of our patrons. We couldn't do it without you. You're the best. Mwah. Uh, and uh, we're on social media. At Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, th- th- thanks for reading. Thanks, everybody. For listening and stuff. You're nice. For writing as well. 